You're listening to the Path to Parenthood podcast series. Today's episode is about common questions and concerns about fertility. Featuring Dr. Andrea Braverman, a psychologist, and Dr. Jacqueline Gutman, a reproductive health specialist. Dr. Braverman. So Jackie, when you've been working with the patient for a while and you're beginning to suspect that there's poor egg quality, what do you do to prepare them for next steps with testing? Dr. Gutman. So typically when, when a, a woman comes in or a couple comes in, um, we talk about the different kinds of testing that we do in general. Um, we want to make sure that their eggs are okay. We want to check sperm if there is in fact a sperm source. We want to evaluate the uterus and the tubes. These are the things that are required to achieve a pregnancy. When we talk about checking egg health, egg quality, number of eggs, the things that we're taking into consideration are going to be the woman's age. So we know that. She's sitting right in front of us, obviously. We typically would like to do um, an ultrasound around the third day of her cycle, day one being the first day of bleeding. And there we count the number of small follicles on the ovaries, follicles that hold the eggs. And so having more suggests a better ovarian reserve. We want to check something called AMH, or anti-malarian hormone. That can be done at any point during the menstrual cycle. That, again, gives us a sense of number of eggs. Higher is going to be better. And one of the other tests that we do is something called FSH, or follicle-stimulating hormone. That, again, is typically done early in the cycle, second, third, fourth day. That hormone is made in the brain. It drives the ovaries to mature the eggs. If the ovaries are unable to respond appropriately, that value elevates. So in that case, we want that value to be low. And so that's the testing that we will typically initiate upon starting treatment with a couple or an individual. When you've been working with the patient for a while and you're beginning to suspect that there's poor egg quality, what do you do to help get to that moment when you're going to be talking with them about that, that diagnosis? As a care provider, I have a responsibility to let them know what the data tells us, what is the likelihood of success, to be able to manage expectations, and then to take that information. And it will vary from individual to individual, obviously. Are they 32, are they 37, are they 42? But whatever it is to take that information and use that and maximize their likelihood of having a positive outcome. And the path that we choose may be different for different individuals based on their own medical circumstance, as well as based on the approach that they choose. But, but absolutely, that is our role. When you, you send a patient to me, it's been, they've had a little bit of time, whether it's the next day or whether it's been the next week. But one of the things I sit and talk with them about is what are the questions now that they wish they had asked at the moment or just didn't even know that they had. And I really encourage patients to feel comfortable calling you back, asking those questions, and even, I suggest, writing them down because the minute they start talking to you, more questions come up and I don't want them to lose track. Absolutely. And so um, initially, if I'm giving the information over the telephone, um, I encourage them to set up a time to come in and talk and also tell them if they have other questions that, that pop up before then. If they want to call, they should. So what kind of reactions do you see from patients when they get the diagnosis of poor egg quality? Clearly, it's, it's hard for somebody to hear. Um, and so there's sadness, there's grief, 
there's frustration, there's anger, clearly a whole range of emotions, particularly if it comes as a surprise. One of the things I've found that's so important for patients is finding out and establishing who they want to put in their support system. Yep. And nobody does this alone. If they have a partner, clearly, they, and their partner need to think about what, how they're going to strategize both individually and as a couple, but even beyond the couple, who are they going to share this with? Are, are they very private? Is that the better way? Are they better having people know what's going on in their lives? This is not a small event. This is sort of like having a tsunami come right. through. Every couple has a different dynamic. You're the mental health professional. I don't need to tell you that. But, but even I, in my position, obviously know that and, and see that. And it's obviously important to ensure that whatever strategies they employ and whatever support system they employ has to be the right one for them. And to get, if they are a couple, to get them to work together because every once in a while they start working apart a little bit. Jackie, it was really great talking with you. It is always wonderful to collaborate with you on patient care, and this conversation really was just wonderful to, to have. And, and I couldn't agree more um, in terms of obviously the work that we just did, but, but much more importantly, the work we do every day taking care of our patients. This podcast is brought to you by Path to Parenthood, an inclusive organization committed to helping people create their families by providing leading-edge outreach programs and timely educational information. The scope of our work encompasses reproductive health, infertility prevention and treatment, and family-building options, including adoption and third-party solutions. Path to Parenthood is a national, not-for-profit, 501c3 charitable organization headquartered in New York City.